the angry staff officer of history, warfare, leadership, and alcohol. This post was first written in 2016, but continues to be relevant to today since the army continues calling everything warrior. So without further ado, stop calling us warriors. If you've been in the army longer than five minutes, you've probably been called warrior already, or maybe hero, usually used sarcastically when referring to basic trainees. But warrior is not used sarcastically. We have the best warrior competition. Soldiers injured in combat or in training go to warrior transition units. Thankfully, training for the new uh, non-commissioned officers is no longer the warrior leader course, but the basic leader course. Uh, but we in the army somehow managed to get a warrior ethos into our lexicon. This word has even seeped into our soldiers' creed with, I am a warrior and a member of a team. Another part of the creed talks about remaining proficient in my warrior tasks and drills. Whatever those are. Uh, but there's a problem with all this warrior rhetoric. Warriors are not soldiers. Warriors don't transition because warriors are part of a class. Warriors don't have tasks because tasks are antithetical to the undisciplined and chaotic warrior. Essentially, stop calling us warriors. Early warriors. The connotation of the warrior is often one of... Uh, it's one who fights alone. Think Achilles or Hector or Agamemnon or any of the classical Greek warriors. They fought for glory and mainly themselves. Uh, principally, they fought alone. Homer made it very clear in the Iliad that it was the mark of the great warriors to fight in single combat, have glorious deaths and names that lived in eternity while the lower classes of Greek soldiery died in the mud together and no one remembered their names because they were not warriors. Warriors also fight with an overriding passion, often an undisciplined one. Overreaching is the way that Homer often describes it. Taking that one extra step that ends in disaster. Warriors are chaotic, tribal, and lawless, oftentimes only governed by a loose code of conduct. Warriors came from a specific class of people those whose lives were dedicated to violence, not violence for a specific end, but often just violence for violence's sake. Warrior classes were, and are, often propped up on the backs of the people, the people they are supposed to be serving. They are supported by the state, segregated into a specific class, and essentially become diametrically opposed to a democracy a democratic republic since democracies do not easily finance the exorbitant cost of keeping up a bunch of entitled elites. We in the army, we are not Achilles. We are not Hector. We think we might be Odysseus, but we're wrong. No one can be that cool. Nor are we Trojans, because who the hell thought that would be a good nickname for a military unit? They lost for crying out loud. So then the next shift in warfare comes along, the hoplite phalanx. Now, if there ever was a fighting formation that was anti-warrior, it was the phalanx. You could not be an individual in a phalanx. That's how you ended up being a shish kebab. 
either from the enemy or your own friends who you had deserted. The phalanx was a formation that was only as strong as its weakest part. And because it was fa uh, a fairly simple fighting uh, of the day, you know, hold shield, hold spear, push together, jab a spear, don't die. Pretty basic, basic stuff. Soldiers from all classes of the Greek city-state could be part of the phalanx. So now there's no need for a specific warrior caste. That is, until the Spartans decided to show up and ruin the whole party. Those damn Spartans. God, does the army love Spartans or what? Everywhere you look on the internet, there are Spartan memes, Spartan t-shirts, Spartan metaphors for special operations forces, Spartan unit mottos. Hell, there's a brigade combat team called the Spartan Brigade. The army loves its Spartans. And that's just stupid. But angry staff officers, Spartans, were great soldiers who were very successful and fought together and lived by a strict and honorable code, code and upheld traditions of brotherhood. Why shouldn't we adopt them as a model? Well, because Spartans were an entire totalitarian society based around a warrior class whose sole purpose was violence. Yes, I know they kept some trappings of democracy, just like the democracy of the pre-Civil War South, where slaves couldn't vote or own property. The entire Spartan system was based on the primacy of the pure Spartan warrior who had to be supported by the helots, who were, you know, slaves owned by the state. Spartans weren't alone in the whole let's own other people thing. Uh, slavery was common in the Mediterranean world in varying states of brutality. The, the helots did all the dishonorable jobs like farm, fish, make tools, make clothes, make weapons and armor, basically all the things that the Spartan warriors needed to survive. And then, of course, there's the rampant sexual abuse of young Spartan boys as part of their training, as well as the sexual abuse of helots at the hands of the Spartan warriors. But, you know, in other words, uh, the Spartan lifestyle was essentially the opposite of everything espoused in the U.S. armed forces. And the Spartan state built around a war machine is kind of antithetical to the whole life, liberty and pursuit of happiness, don't you think? Yet we condone this type of imagery and symbolism even as we continue to wonder why sexual assault and domestic violence incidents still take place within our ranks there's something twisted in the way that the special operations support community looking at you Sofrup, uh glorifies anything spartan it's almost as if they know exactly what Sparta stood for and have no problems with making the civilian population into a subservient class of peoples, <clears throat> sheep, that only exist to adulate and support the warrior classes, <clears throat> sheepdogs. Yeah, there's a cult. Yeah, I said it. And I can already hear their personal attacks on me for hating freedom and patriots furiously typing uh, all around our special operations community fed by book writing retirees uh, who, by the way, SOCOM told to shut up uh, and civilians who want to feel like they're supporting the military, uh, airsoft military wannabes and seemingly every other dude out there on social media uh, with the Molon Lob superimposed over an American flag somewhere in their profile feeling uncomfortable yet? Well, you should, because this type of rhetoric is not only subversive to democracy, but is, yeah, antithetical, said it again, to the ideals of the founding fathers who saw a standing professional army as one of the greatest threats to our republic. 
Does this mean that Special Operations forces are bad? Hell to the no. Those soldiers, Marines, sailors, and airmen... Dare I say spacemen? Guardians? Ugh, I can't, can't do it. Can't do it. Those individuals in the soft community undergo extremely intense training, sacrificing normal lives to be always training or at war, and are literally bearing the brunt of our conflicts across the world, Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya, Yemen, countries in Africa. Well, you know, the list goes on and on and on. They're stretched incredibly thin and are called upon to do their own mission, as well as the missions of the conventional ground forces because the public and thereby political appetite for large deployments of conventional forces is low. However, placing them on a pedestal, that is, creating a warrior class specifically for them, does a disservice to them. Public perception eventually becomes that they are superheroes, unstoppable, and can do everything. And with that also comes the idea that you just cannot question special operations forces. To even think of doing so would be unpatriotic. As the tip of the spear, more and more operations will be piled on top of them until eventually the spear tip snaps off because they are also human. The more we distance ourselves from them, the more they are left in a vacuum, both overseas and at home. And if we distance ourselves from them overseas, we lose accountability for their actions. If we distance ourselves from them at home, we cannot give them the support they need to integrate, integrate back into the civilian, civilian world, society. They are not Spartans. They are not warriors. They are soldiers, marines, sailors, and airmen. Fathers, brothers, sisters, mothers, sons, and daughters. Americans. Oh, and those Spartans, yeah, they overextended and got whooped by all the smaller Greek city-states they used to make fun of. The defeat and capture of 120 of the vaunted and expensive Spartan warriors at 425 BCE at Sphactria basically threw the myth of Spartan invincibility into the Aegean, causing Sparta to actually have to negotiate and make it an open season for war with Sparta. And that's the problem with building up a mythos. Once you start believing it yourself, small losses become catastrophic. Metaphors in all this? Oh, they do abound. The legions. As much as it pains me, probably the best comparison from the ancient world to the modern U.S. military uh, is the, the Roman legionnaires. The legions were combined arms forces made up of recruits from all around the empire, and the end goal for the legionnaires was to retire from the legions with the plot of land and full citizenship in the empire. The legions were resourceful, excellent at engineering, and really good at projecting power. While they would be accommodating if you cooperated, they would also be incredibly ruthless if you rebelled, like, you know, kill everyone, salt the fields, curse your name, ruthless. However, they were also run by politicians turned soldiers or soldiers turned politicians, um, which usually just ended up in civil war and disaster. The purpose of the legions was to create and hold empire. Empires are costly, difficult to maintain, don't come with a warranty, and always fail, be they Roman, British, or galactic. So if we could just stay away from empire, that'd be great. Medieval warriors. 
Oddly enough, not many present day warfighters, which is also kind of an odd term. Like, you know, I'm not a baker, I'm a bread maker. I'm not a teacher, I'm a book instructor of her. I don't know. It just doesn't doesn't seem to roll off the tongue. Anyway, many present day warfighters take their cues from the medieval warriors, uh, save for the, um, or not many take their cues from medieval warriors, save for the occasional allusions to crusaders, which in and of itself does not make one a good warfighter, because being a crusader literally just means one who goes on a crusade. And loads of people went crusading from 1095 to 1291, uh, mainly unsuccessfully. The whole thing ended in disaster because, as it turns out, land grabs fused with religious mania just don't do logistics very well. And as an aside, uh, one does tend to see a lot of non-DOD-sponsored paraphernalia associated with the Crusades, namely t-shirts that say a lot of things about being a proud infidel. What is strange is that so many of the people who wear these shirts or tattoos or have infidel proudly emblazoned on their social media page seem to also be staunch Christians. And the definition of infidel is one who A, does not believe in religion, or B, does not subscribe to your own religion, which in the case of the Christian infidels would be anyone who is not a Christian. So then you would be identifying yourself as an infidel. I don't, I don't know. No one really knows. Let the cognitive dissonance just sort of sink in for a moment. But back to the topic at hand. The preeminent medieval combatants were armored knights whose sole occupation was training for and executing combat. Like the F-35, knights did not come cheap, so economic systems formed around maintaining them. Namely, the feudal system, where the poor lived on the land of the wealthy landowner and provided him with food in return for protection. Notice how these warrior classes all seem to have subjugation of the poor as a common theme? Huh. Odd. Anyways, this all came to grief when the Welsh or English, depending on who you talk to, uh, discovered that if you crafted a longbow with enough power and mass groups of trained and very cheap archers together, you could democratize warfare again and turn the incredibly expensive knight into a new, an incredibly expensive pincushion. Pikes soon returned to fashion after a hiatus of a couple centuries, uh, and someone brought gunpowder from China, and all of a sudden, war was anyone's game mercenaries. Professional combatants in the Renaissance came in the form of soldiers for hire, mercenaries. Because really, when you're rediscovering the works of classical Greece and Rome, who has time to learn how to fight? Armies of citizen soldiers were augmented with cadres of professional mercenaries who often acted in a advise and assist role uh, when not in actual combat. The best of these mercs came from Switzerland and the German states, some would eventually become the Swiss Guard, aka the Pope's Special Operations Forces, while others would form the basis for the professional class of combatants in the German state of Prussia. And we know what that eventually led to. Yeah, it led to some world wars and stuff, and stuff, and things. Uh, but also to the general staff, doggone it, and the modernization of warfare along the lines of professional soldiers. Were these mercenaries warriors or soldiers? They certainly have little in common with a warrior in the classical sense, fighting for personal glory and grandeur. And while they were paid by the state that hired them, they did not form a warrior class that survived off the backs of the people they defended, 
for the very reason that their existence was predicated on the state not needing a standing army. Now, this would eventually change through the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries as the powers of Europe slowly adopted large professional standing armies. Yet these armies were composed of soldiers, not warriors, because warriors do not fight for the state or for a shared vision. They fight for themselves. Soldiers are disciplined masters of warfare, acting out of a sense of duty and devotion to their homeland, families, or an ideal, who do not love violence for its own sake, but understand that there are cases where violence is necessary. They are self-sacrificial, putting the needs of others over their own. They do not seek glory, they seek victory. They are thinkers who understand that passions must be controlled in the heat of battle, that sometimes the answer is not always to attack in a frenzy. And really, why do we need the appellation of warrior? Our own names are even stronger. They bear a far more rich heritage and, tra and tradition. Battlefields across the world bear testament to the U.S. Army soldier, doughboys, and GIs. What corner of the world doesn't know who the devil dogs and leathernecks of the Marines are? U.S. Navy sailors stand for the freedom of passage for the waters of the world. Airmen, well, you know, I'm sure they stand for something. Kidding. Kidding. The sights and sounds of the U.S. Air Force are the symbol of overwhelming American power. U.S. military history provides ample examples of names to call ourselves other than warriors. Army units retain lineages that reflect the unit's past achievements. Most units carry some type of nickname that incorporates their heritage. Still want to be called legionnaires? Hey, you still can, as a throwback to General Anthony Wayne's legions and sublegions of the U.S. Army, some of the very first combined arms organizations. Reaching back to the classical or medieval era for things to call ourselves ignores hundreds of years of rich history in the United States military. Frankly, it's lazy. No, we are not the Greek warriors of old. We are not Spartans standing on the backs of slaves. We are not a warrior class that stands apart from the people of the United States. We are not crusaders carrying religion on the point of the sword. We fight together, side by side, for the people of the United States. We support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and bear true faith and allegiance to the same. Plus, every time I hear warrior, all I can think of is the 1980s movies Warriors, which you now need to go Google. <laughs>